Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul. BlakeRadio.com. Jennifer Daniels, and you're listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul. Okay, today's topic is doctors and insurance. Has your doctor got money on his mind and his mind on his money? Is he thinking more about his insurance company or your insurance company than he's thinking about you? So that's the topic of tonight's story is what is really going on? And your premiums, of course, are going up, but is your doctor getting paid? And tonight I'm going to talk about some uncomfortable truths about your insurance, your doctor, and your doctor's relationship to your insurance. Of course, they're figures. My opinions, my analysis, but they're figures. So, think happens. So, let's go take a look. So as a patient, you're probably worried about things like uh, how you feel, if you're going to get better, maybe you want to know what you've got. But there are other people who are thinking about other things. For example, I got this in the news feed, Medscape Family Medicine, and they actually did an insurer ratings report 2014. So they felt it was important enough for them to know exactly what doctors were thinking about insurance. And so they did a survey. And so what I'm going to do tonight is share with you the results of the the survey and uh, the implications. Uh, So first uh, thing is what insurers do you accept? This sounds like, uh, from a patient's point of view, it probably sounds like a no-brainer. Well, of course, the doctor should accept all insurance, isn't that we could uh, see all people and there'd be increased accessibility, but not so fast. Um, it turns out that many insurance companies have such restrictive rules that if the doctor did accept your insurance, so to speak, it practically criminalizes 
or prohibits him from ever seeing you, which is kind of like a catch-22. The insurance company collects money from the patient, then sets enough conditions on the doctor so that the doctor who participates with the insurance company is actually not able to see a patient. For example, I uh, participate with an HMO. Okay, okay, guys. I'll give you a chance. I'll sign a participation agreement. We'll see how it goes. Oh, my God. The insurance company told the patient, you have, you are entitled to a free, complete physical exam. The doctor will see you all time of day and night, and your number of visits are limited. That sounds good. They told me, you, oh, and they told the patient, show your card, don't worry, you know, you're, you're insured. So they tell me, the doctor, just because the patient shows his card does not mean that he's insured. Until you've called our insurance validation number and talked to a live person who tells you the individual is covered, then uh, you may not see anyone who shows his card. So if someone shows his card, you may not see them unless and until the insurance coverage division tells you that they really are covered because somehow they could have gotten such a card and maybe they're really not covered. All right, so that sounded reasonable to me. So, of course, I have this super automated office and super, super nice and super efficient person at the front desk. And so the patient will come in. When we call in, make an appointment. Okay, so we say, all right, okay. We check, yes, they're, oh, no, they're not on our list of assigned individuals. Hmm, okay. So now we say, look, we'll give you an appointment. It's a week in the future, but we're going to call your insurance company like they told us to. We're just going to check, and we're sure you're really insured, but if they just told us to check. Well, the front desk is tied up for hours calling and calling and calling this insurance validation line, and every time she finally does get through, it takes her 15 minutes each time she tries, she's told that the person is not insured. So, of course, we call the patient back and say, hey, you know, your company says you're not insured. The person has a total fit. The insurance company says, oh, they are insured. Then, earlier the day of the appointment, we get a call from the insurance company saying, oh, you know, we made a mistake. They're really not insured. And so, of course, the patient calls a different number, the subscriber line, and is told, oh, you're insured. We don't know why the doctor won't see you. Then we call the insurance validation line, and we're told, no, that patient's not insured. Oh, I don't know why any people would be so dishonest. It literally tore our office apart. We had these hysterical people in the lobby who were having premiums deducted from their pay every pay period and who had this card that they were told was valid. And, of course, we were being told that we absolutely may not see this person. <laughs> Well, we didn't take long for us to figure out. We just handed the patient the phone and said, here, this is the provider eligibility line. You talk to them. And we just dropped the insurance because it was destroying the very uh, friendly, cordial uh, atmosphere in our office. We say nothing of just putting these poor people who had this insurance in a total state of distress. And so what happened then was the insurance company, of course, the best of both worlds. They collected these premiums. The doctor was the bad guy, and the patient never got seen. So if your doctor takes all insurances, that's a very bad sign. Um, 
there's all kinds of killer clauses in those insurances. My favorite is blah, 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 blah. And then at the end it says, you agree not to share any details of this contract with the patient. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that don't that beat all. When they started telling me I could not share, if I signed the contract, I could not share it with people, I stopped signing the contracts. And then when people came into the office saying, why don't you take my insurance? I said, this is the contract. Your insurance company wants me to sign. Do you really want to see a doctor who's going to sign an insurance contract like this, which tells the doctor basically, don't tell you about any drugs that aren't on the insurance company's permitted list. Don't tell you about any therapy other than what the insurance company is willing to pay for. And, and it goes on and on and on. So you can imagine each insurance company is going to have a different list of permitted drugs, a different list of permitted therapies. And for the doctor to keep straight, which therapy is allowed for which patient, depending on which insurance they are carrying, and don't let anyone switch insurances halfway through the year, maybe they switch jobs or something, it will throw the doctor in a total state of confusion. So how are doctors handling this? Well, it turns out that over 80% of physicians participate with four insurers. That would be Aetna, United Healthcare, Blue Plans, I mean, any kind of Blue Cross plans. <laughs> All the rest, that would be Cigna, Aetna, United Healthcare, everything. The person paid a ton of visit, and then they were reimbursed, if at all, by their insurance company later. What does this mean? This meant that I didn't have to stop and think about insurance or getting paid. All I had to do was focus on the patient what was wrong, and how I could help them. And so I didn't have to sort through, let's see, person's got a stubbed toe, there's four or five things I could do for this, which insurance they have, what am I allowed to tell them? So just totally uh, skip that one. Didn't have to do that. So you could focus directly on the patient instead of having my mind on their insurance. Instead of studying their insurance, I could study them. So the, the interesting thing is that 80% of physicians participate with four insurers. That is shocking. What does it mean? It's incredible consolidation of power over your health care in the hands of one, two, three, four, four insurance companies. Literally, what the doctor would do shorthand is just do whatever these four insurance companies want. And that means that each one of these doctors has incredible market power in terms of determining the care that you get and nature of the contract that they write. What else do they ask these doctors? What qualities are most important in an insurer? This is interesting because it turns out that there's certain things that are important to doctors. And these things may or may not be important to patients. Doctors are worried about reimbursement rates, ease of doing business, frequency of claim denial, and willingness to evaluate denied claims. That's about the size of it. So what are doctors not too concerned about? They're not concerned about system transparency. What's system transparency? That means the patient and the doctor getting the same information. They don't really care about that. They're not going to reject an insurance company because, I don't know, they're dishonest or something, or dishonest to the patient. 
Successful transparency is not important. Pre-certification and pre-approval requirements, eh, not important. All they want to know is are they going to get paid. Well, from a patient's point of view, you, you might want to know if you have to get pre-certification and delay your decision-making process by several hours, several days, or even weeks. And, of course, pre-approval requirements. Why is this important to a patient? Well, if system transparency is poor, then the patient could get a approval of a certification, pre-certification, and then that approval could later be denied because the system wasn't transparent and the patient's information was not accurate. But this is not something that doctors are concerned about. Accuracy and speed of response to questions. Doctors really aren't that concerned about that. Not that big a deal. At rank number one, two, three, four, five, uh, number six. So very, very interesting. So the very things from a patient perspective you might think would be important, from a doctor perspective, apparently you're not. So it's very, very interesting. Um, so this definitely impacts your quality of care. So you're looking for one thing, and the doctor's looking for another. Very interesting. Try again uh, a match on that one. Which insurance companies do you consider to be the best? Now, this is important because if four companies control 80% of the market, then a doctor who's dependent on insurances could, could go out of business by not getting along with these insurance companies. So which insurers do you consider the best? Um, Blue Cross or Blue Plans, Aetna and Cigna. These are the top, these are three of the top four, and they rank one, two, and three. The fourth in the top four ranks one, two, three, four, five, six. United Healthcare is number six on the list, with Harvard Healthcare and Medical Mutual ranking higher. What does that mean? That means that the insurers that the doctors consider the best are not necessarily the ones that most of them take. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, many insurance plans don't take all doctors. They'll reject doctors. Also, many doctors are located in places where geographically it's not convenient to accept a certain health insurance plan because, well, the patients don't have that insurance plan, so why bother with the paperwork? So there's all kinds of things um, going on uh, going on here. So let's see what else they, these doctors had to say about these insurance plans. Okay, talk about how the insurance plans um, fared in 2011 versus 2014, and the top one, two, three were still in the top three or four. So it's kind of like re-election to Congress. You know, these uh, health insurance plans pretty much have a grip on the market, and I guess you might say it's a uh, quasi-oligopoly. In other words, where very few companies dominate the market. And what this does, I think, for from a patient perspective, is you really have almost a single-payer system. In other words, there's so few players. You've only got three to five major major insurance company players. And so you have all of this being consolidated. 
and the consolidation actually is continuing. And so what you have is extreme consolidation in the market. You really only have four or five insurance companies, major insurance companies. And so they're consolidating, and they're going to continue to consolidate, and you're going to have two or three. How is that different from a single-payer plan on a national level? Well, the answer is we now have a single-payer private plan where we have the um, insurers dominating the market privately, totally beyond the reach of voter or um, popular demand or patient control. This is a pretty scary, you know, picture when you think of people being forced to give their money to these private plans and then really having no control over the policies that these plans set in terms of what care they really won't pay for and how much they'll pay, if they'll pay, and so on. It adds another level of stress to the patient's quest for good health. And it adds a layer of uncontrollability. Once you pay that insurance premium, you're pretty much out of luck. Money is out of your hands, out of your control. Best insurers by region. This is interesting. Um, the blue plans, that would be the Blue Cross, both of you who are older, Blue Cross Blue Shield type plans uh, dominate all of the United States except the Northeast where they come in second. So again, you really have a situation where we're approaching a single-payer type system here where doctors are totally dominated by and at the whim of a very small number of payers. And the patients are being told, oh, we can't have a single-payer system. I'm sure there's reasons for it. I don't know what they are. But we can't have a single-payer system because it will cut the insurance companies out of it. No, <laughs> it doesn't. You simply have one dominant, the two dominant insurance companies. So it's very, very interesting to have a um, the federal government acting as a front for a private monopoly. And so you have the federal government having this compulsory plan where you have to pay money, have to buy health insurance, and then behind the curtain you have basically a monopolistic industry where the government is forcing people to pay their money into what amounts to a monopoly or near monopoly. Top rate insurers for reimbursement rates. So blue plans do pay the best. I can vouch for that. Um, at least you know what you're going to get paid. When I was in medical practice, literally, the insurance plans that you took could determine whether or not you were in business, number one. Number two, it determined how you treated your patients. Um, when doctors are paying, I call it duck, duck, goose. Now, if you don't know which patients you're going to be paid for, but you know that on average you're going to get paid for about a third to a half of the patients. You see, you're going to get paid by the insurance company for them. So what do you do? You see as many patients as you can, and so that increases your chances of getting paid by seeing more patients. This is uh, the kind of math a lot of doctors do. 
And so this brings you to the five-minute office visit, or maybe even the two-minute office visit, where the doctor realizes he is going to see a lot of patients because he doesn't really know which ones he's going to actually be paid for. Now, from the patient perspective, the patient believes, if they have insurance, they often believe that the doctor's probability of getting paid is someplace close to 100%. And that's just not true. When you have co-pays uh, and deductibles, the deductible or deductible of the dollar value amount the person has to pay out of pocket before the insurance company pays. And so some people, it's $100, some people, it's 1000 some people, it's 5000 So that's the first reason why a doctor won't get paid. Insurance is so yes, the service is covered, yes, the fee is approved, but ah, we don't pay it, the patient does. The next reason is a copay. In some places, the copay is 2%, 5%, usually 10%, but sometimes it can be even higher. And so again, the doctor, at the time he sees the patient, has no clue uh, if he's going to get paid because he doesn't know how much of a deductible the patient has already met. A lot of times, patients don't even know because it's a, a office visit or a medical bill could come to say $1,000, the uh, insurance company says, well, your deductible is $200, but of this $1,000, we only think we should pay $200 or allow $200, and that is 100% your responsibility to pay. And depending on whether the person is in plan or out of plan, their out of pocket is either $200 or $1,000. So it can get pretty complicated, and you can actually have insurance yet not have coverage. In other words, you can have insurance but still be obligated to pay your um, premium. Another thing to take a look at is top rate insurers for reimbursement rate, Medicare was at the bottom of the pile. So on a scale of 1 to 5, Medicare came out 2.5, and the best payer was Blue Cross plans at 3, 3 out of 5. That's pretty poor. So that means that um, the blue plans were really paid the best, they weren't very good or even good. It was like eh, mediocre. Very, very interesting. So you're a doctor. The top four paying plans that pay him don't pay him very well. Why say don't pay him very well? There's something wrong. There's a lack of predictability. He doesn't really know if he's going to get paid. And the amount he's going to get paid uh, may not actually cover he perceived to be his expenses. Top rate insurers for ease of doing business. So how easy is it to get this money that's not really quite enough to cover expenses? And a lot of people say, well, you know, doctors are a lot of money, da, 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 da. But again, the doctors get at best 20% of the health care dollar. What does that mean? That means of the money you pay for your health insurance premium, at most, some doctor somewhere is going to get 20% of it. Really shocking when you think about it. Because most people would rather be able to see a doctor and avoid being in a hospital rather than and avoid using drugs, rather than have all their money go to drugs and hospitals or hospitals and insurance overhead or who knows where it goes now that you have the Affordable Health Care Act, there's really not much transparency in terms of where the money actually does go. So ease of doing business. Blue Cross plan is number one. Although the money is not that great, it's easy to at least reach a determination as to how much money you will be getting. So you get 3.2 out of that. Aetna, Cigna, two other 
of the big, uh, three of the big four. Yep, easy. Medicare, this is different. When I was in practice, Medicare was just absolutely impossible. So now what I'm saying is Medicare may not pay you a thing at all, but at least you can quickly find it out that they're not going to pay you. So, very interesting. And it's interesting that doctors um, are even able to fill out this form. So, in other words, the doctors filled these forms out. Their billing clerk didn't fill the form out. Their uh, receptionist didn't fill the form out. The nurse didn't fill the form out. They have the doctors fill these forms out. So the doctors, in their minds, have actually rated these companies actually have an opinion. In other words, we don't have a bunch of don't know, don't know, uh, don't know, don't care. No. The doctors actually rated these companies. They've heard of these companies. They're aware of these companies. These companies occupy space in their consciousness. It's two, four, six, eight, eleven companies here. So this is, uh, you know, for a patient trying to get the doctor's attention, this is, this is challenging. This is challenging. So let's see what else these doctors had to say about insurance. Top rate insurance for fewest denial. In other words, if you send a form in to, a, to an insurance company, statistically, how often are they going to deny it? And which companies have the fewest denials? And so Medicare has the fewest denials, hands down. So, so apparently the Medicare strategy is pay very little, but pay every claim you get. Of course, that invites fraud, right? Invites people to submit fake current claims. They know they're going to get paid, not much, but if you submit enough of them, you know, it adds up. So Medicare, um, top of the list, does not does not question claims. It just simply pays very little. And so uh, this is what they're saying. The people doing the study, their editorial was, physicians were asked to rate the frequency of denials on a scale of one, lots of denials, to five, few denials. Contrary to what many people might believe, Medicare came in high with a rating of 3.2, followed by blue plans. Humana fared worse in denial, followed by Oxford. No insurer scored a four or higher in the category of frequency of denial. In other words, there was no plan that um, had few denials. The, the physicians were unhappy to some degree with all the plans over their uh, frequency of denials. So denials of plans were most frequently and intensively uh, described. When physicians were asked about their worst experience with insurers, now the claims were the most frequently intensively described. One internist who responded to the survey said his insurer denied over 20 claims every month for pre-existing conditions and retracted more than 20 payments per month for claims processed more than a year before. So what does this mean? This means that the insurance company paid for a claim, let's say in January of 2014, and then in February 2014, rejected claims that had been paid in January of 2013. So claims more than a year old, they would reject payment for it, take, them, take the money back to that payment. And now, where's the patient? The patient could be dead and moved to another state, no longer covered under that plan. We had some insurers that did that, and we just, uh, we just dropped them. We said, you know what, you guys, you're just being dishonest. And so the doctors have these numbers in their head as they see a patient. So, oh, see, you have uh, Medicare, hmm. I know there's a certain percent chance that Medicare is going to ask for the money back. And this causes a lot of stress 
in the doctor, of course, who's trying to figure out how to pay the, the office, the electric, and all this other stuff. And so, even worse, if you're working with dealing with a clinic, the clinic has a much more cut and dried attitude about it, which is cost of doing business, remember the number of people seen, get them in, get them out, get the claim submitted. And this puts the doctor in the position of, again, if you know 10% of your claims are going to be denied, by 20% the money is going to be paid but taken back a year from now, what, what do you do? Well, you know that 30% of the money that you bill is really funny money. It's not real money. You'll never see it. One way or another, you'll never see it. And so what do you do then is you increase your volume, giving each individual very little attention because, again, you're certain you're getting paid is, is very low. And so the person's satisfaction, it just becomes less and less meaningful. And the person becomes just a number, and not even really a number, but a fraction of a number because, again, chances of getting paid, just to take a discussion here, is 0.7. So when this person hands you a dollar bill, it's not really a dollar because, you know, it's got a string attached to it and it could be jerked back at any time by the insurance company. Very interesting. So, very, very interesting. So this is what's on your doctor's mind when he sees you. Okay. So these doctors are actually spending time with these denied claims. And they're begging these insurers to please reevaluate these denied claims. Please take a second look at this. Won't you please pay me? So literally, the five minutes the doctor spends with the patient is just the beginning. There's a long uh, trail of effort and activity. The doctor literally has to spend about another 20 minutes. For each patient sees another 20 minutes getting paid. How's that? Well, he's got to complete a chart note, get it typed up. He's got to proofread it. He has to submit the chart note electronic health records. Those are automatically submitted. Okay, so now he's put another five to ten minutes into that, depending on how good his typing is. Next thing he's got to do is once the um, bill is submitted and it gets denied, then he has got to argue with the insurance company to try and get the money once it's submitted. Then let's say it's approved. Okay, now he's got the money. He can put it in the bank. All right, he can pay the front desk, pay the electric, pay the malpractice, buy tons of pressures, whatever. A year later, that money's going to slide right out of his bank account, right into the insurance company that paid it to him. The, I have to address a question in the chat room. Doctors actually learn how to type. The answer is... Some do, but most don't. And they use the hunt and peck, the hunt and peck method, and they use cut, and, cut, copy, and paste. And recently, there's a big article in the uh, doctor literature, uh, which I, I'm on their news feed, saying, hey, guys, you can't use this cut and paste thing because the malpractice attorneys will fry you in court. And when they can find four or five notes of the same cut and paste, they can call into question whether any note you wrote is valid at all. And so now the doctor's don't actually know how to type, and that is another problem. What is a single-payer system? A single-payer system is where one entity or one insurance governed by one set of rules covers all insurance. 
And so what people have been seduced or tricked into discussing is whether we should have a one-payer health insurance system instead of asking, should we have a health insurance system at all? Does the government have a place in health insurance? Does it make sense for the government to compel participation in a system of healing that murders 880,000 people every year? I mean, would you want your government to be involved in the heroin trade? I mean, there's plenty of evidence it is. But would you want to endorse that? Would you want to have mandatory participation and everyone has to pay monthly payments into the heroin acquisition and availability system? Probably not. And heroin, by any measure, is safer than the uh, prescription drugs and the care being received by uh, Americans now. So the debate has been skewed not into should the government insure health care, but what kind of health care should it insure. And for example, you have Medicaid, this is the insurance for supposedly pregnant women and children, and we now know the immunizations the children are getting are dangerous. We now know the prenatal care is dangerous. We now know the pap smears are of questionable medical value. And so you take a look at all this care that the Medicaid system was developed to finance, and we find that it's of little, if any value at all. In fact, it's harmful to the people receiving the care. So uh, many people will say, well, you know, Medicaid, that's the system for the um, paying of medical care for, for pregnant women and children. Um, as pregnant women and small children is now being used sub to subsidize nursing home care. And on the face of that, that sounds like a pretty neat thing, but the truth of the matter is, you know, there's a lot going on in nursing homes that's questionable in terms of the health care and safety of the people who dwell in those nursing homes. And again, because the person paying for the care is not the same as the person receiving the care, there's room for a tremendous amount of graft and theft. And so it may be that a kind-hearted, tax-paying citizen is putting, for every dollar they put into the system for health care for pregnant women and children, first of all, if they get the care, it's not useful. And second of all, it may be that only 20 cents or even 10 cents of a dollar is actually reaching these people in terms of care. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot to take a look at here. So willingness to reevaluate denied claims. So this means that your doctor, um, when he sees you, like I said, he's got to put in time typing up this note, send it off via the Internet, uh, where it now becomes really public. Uh, it gets to your insurance company. They might pay the claim. They might not. And if they do not pay the claim, then he's got to put in more time arguing and pleading his case over denied claim to try and get paid. Now, again, a cynical doctor, and many of them are becoming that way, they simply say, hey, you know what, see more patients, run through like cattle, and I'll get paid for 70%, leave it like that, and I'm not contesting any unpaid claims. And um, that is a strategy that does not help an individual who has an ailment, ailment or an uh, affliction and... Um, to get care. The person's not getting care. 
because what's happening? Your doctor is basically pay, playing a statistical game of chance every time he sees a patient instead of uh, looking at the patient's affliction. Top rate insurance for speed of claims payment. Again, no one's doing a great job on this one. <laughs> but the top four are Blues, Medicare, Aetna, Cigna, and United Healthcare. And the, the top ones for speed of payment are, guess what, the top ones that doctors accept. Not a surprise there. And again, the fact that the doctors have these numbers and have these insurance company names in their minds so they can even rank them is shocking. It's appalling. Uh, I think if you ask them to, to rank, uh, you know, patient names or, or, or patient conditions, they'd probably have to scratch their head or put in a lot of don't know, not applicable. And so speed of payment is, again, blue, blue, the blue plans were number one. In my office, like I said, that was the only plan that we accepted because I was not going to put any um, energy into uh, begging for money or handling denied claims. You know, if, if the insurance company sent denied claims, guess what? I'm just, I just didn't accept them. And so I explained to the patients that I do not practice insurance. I practice medicine. And um, it's nice that they have insurance, but between them and their insurance company, how they want to handle it. And I would suggest that you would do well to see a doctor who does not practice insurance. You can see by these respondents, these doctors are practicing insurance. It's very clear. The fact that they can even, again, even answer these questions. Top rate insurance for fast and accurate responses to questions. Now, I've also um, seen that doctors said this is not very important, and you can see that the plans that answer the questions the quickest aren't necessarily the top ones. So blue plans and Aetna, they are the quickest in answering questions, but Cigna, Medical Mutual of Ohio, Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Plan, Kaiser, these are all people, plans that rank high in answering questions, but only two of them, I'm sorry, three of them rank high in terms of doctor satisfaction. And you see Medicare here at the bottom. <laughs> Apparently, they don't answer questions. Top rate insurers for pre-certification and pre-approval requirements. And so what that means is that these physicians rated Medicare good to very good in terms of lack of pre-approval uh, or pre-certification requirements. Either they had the requirements and they were easy to meet, or they didn't have any at all. And so Medicare had ranked top of the list here. And again, that's consistent with uh, their no denial of the claim, very hands-off um, policy here. Their strategy appears to be uh, pay low and pay often. And I guess it's working for them. <laughs> Okay, the chat room is really active. Oh, I should uh, tell you guys what the call-in numbers are. We're ready to take questions here in about 10 minutes. Okay, the call-in numbers are 914-338-0695 for questions. 914-338-0695 for questions. And for the chat room, which is a hilarious chat going on, healing with drdaniels.chatangle.com. 
Okay. So we're going to click over back here. Yes, okay. So top-rated health insurance by patient visits. Now here's where you can see we have a one-payer system. So percent of patient visits, blue plans, 65% of patient visits, blue. So physicians were asked to rank their top three insurers in terms of patient visits. 65% of physicians ranked the blues plan as their highest volume. And so the blues plan was the highest number of offices per physician than any of the others. The next closest was United Healthcare with 18%. And what this tells you is we essentially have a one-payer system. One-payer system meaning there's one entity, in this case the Blues Plan, that are controlling the insurance, the conditions of insurance, the method of insurance payment. Now the Blues, just to be clear, the Blues are like Hall's mental item cost runs. If you've ever gone to the cost run stand at your store and you look at Hall's, they're all made by Hall's, but they've got about 15 different varieties. And so the Blues plans is run that way. They have HMOs, they have PPOs, they have fee-for-service. Um, they have all different kinds of different plans, but they're all um, under one umbrella, which is the Blues. And so this is proof positive. It, you know, people were saying, oh, I want, I want to have choice, I want choice, and they really don't have choice. It's 65% of all physicians have the Blue Cross Blue Shield plan controlling more of their visits than any other insurance plan, then it's pretty straightforward that you basically have a one-payer system here. We call that de facto. I mean, it's just by the act of what's going on that it's a one-payer system. Okay. What else is going on? Top rated by dollars collected. Again, blues plan straight ahead. 60% of all doctors say they get more money from Blue Cross Blue Shield than any other insurance plan. And again, this means that you have de facto, that means in act, in fact, a one-payer system here. Uh, the next closest is 16%, 16%. So, you know, the Blues plan is more than three times in volume any other plan. And so because of their market share, their market size, their market dominance, you really have a one-payer system here. Now, the other thing that people aren't aware of is the Blues plan is a major intermediary in practicing claims for Medicare. So this doesn't even begin to reflect the true dominance of the Blues plan. And so even though you have a Medicare plan, the federal government contracts with insurance companies, private insurance companies, to process those claims. And in, in my area, even though I didn't take uh, Medicare, the, I was aware that the Blues were the processors for the Medicare claims as well. Top-rated insurers by specialty. And again, this is, um, this is interesting. So if, if you're anesthesiology, most likely he's going to be using the Blues plan. He's, he's mostly saying the Blue Cross. Cardiology, Blues. Dermatology, Skin Guys, Blues. Neurology, Blues. 
If you have AIDS, most likely you're insured by the blues. Internal medicine, uh, those doctors take Blue Cross Blue Shield more so. General surgery, oh, medical mutual, oh, blues plans are second. Gastroenterology, the blues plans are second. Obstetrics and gynecology, women's health, the blues plan is second. So the blues plans are number one and number two in terms of the favorite plans for these particular specialists. Again, it just reflects what the other um, information indicates, which is that we've got essentially a one-payer system. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at our questions. We have questions. All right, we have one question here. Hi, your name and your question? Uh, Bill Witt. And, Bill. Uh, Hi, Bill. It, the, um, it's a point of information. In the 70s, I was the titular head of a grant that sole purpose was to put signs. I was in Rhode Island at the time, but it's a national act. Put signs in hospital waiting rooms. And the act was Hilburton, that if a hospital has yeah. been built with federal funds, poor people are entitled, to, if they can't pay, to be treated for free. And that's Correct. something that very few people knew about, but this guy did it all over Rhode Island, and that's something that should be said on your show. Okay, so there's a little nuance to that. There's a limit to how much free care these consuls are, are obligated to provide. So what happened was in 1952, the federal government built, built as a gift, built hospitals all over the United States, just built them, and just gave them to the hospital owners. And all they had to do was give an amount of care for free that equaled the dollar amount the government spent building the hospital. It's shameful that as of 1970, these individuals failed to even give out enough charity care to equal the amount of money the government gave them for free to build a hospital more than 20 years uh, prior. And I was in, med- I was in medical school in uh, 1979, and I entered medical practice in 1990. As of 1990, there were quite a few hospitals throughout the country who had not given enough charity care to equal the gift the government gave them in building their hospitals. A hospital that they had been operating for profit, oh sure, they were listed as a not-for-profit company, but they made a lot of money off those hospitals. And they um, bankrupted these poor people, they took their homes, um, turned them away, mistreated them, everything. And um, when they could have just said, oh, we owe the government $20 million, why don't we just take your $10,000 bill off of that $20 million as part of the charitable care that we're given. And um, to this day, um, there are hospitals that have not given even that little bit of charity care. It's just really unconscionable. Okay, we've got a lot of questions in the chat room. Okay. All right, so I have to get my chat room uh, organizer to get these these comments are coming in too quick and too fast for me to uh, sort through well. Okay, here's one. What is the candidate plan 2.0? this weekend about, okay, everyone knows I wrote a document called The Candida Cleaner, which revealed to the world all the details of drinking turpentine for better health. And so now we are this weekend opening the availability of the update 
And so this update is taking into account all the questions and all the things that have occurred since I came out with the Candida Cleaner. I believe it was 2011. And to find out more about that, you can go to vitalitycapsules.com. Okay, so this person says, you should also kick insurance salesmen out too. All right. Again, I think, I'm totally in favor. I, I think that, uh, you know, insurance salesmen are insurance salesmen. It's like saying you don't like car salesmen or something. I think people should have a choice about whether or not they want to have insurance. So to compel people to have insurance, especially the nature we just described, is outrageous. Why should the government force people to pay money to a monopoly? And then that monopoly is not obligated to provide care, number one. Number two, that monopoly is totally insensitive or becomes totally insensitive to the health care wishes of the people who are actually paying them. So it's one thing to have a monopoly, but it's quite another to then force the private citizens to pay money to that monopoly. At least give people a choice of whether or not they want to pay money to the monopoly. So uh, what is a single-payer system? A single-payer system, they mentioned before, is um, where one entity handles all claims using uniform uh, rules. Now, what we have is we have a single-payer. It's processing these claims, but not necessarily through one set of rules. It has the discretion to create uh, numerous different types of rules. Okay, so we got the single payer system. <laughs> sounds like a scam to me. So saying that the insurance sounds like a scam. Um, again, it might be, it might not be. I think it's a matter of people deciding is this what they want to participate in. And if they do, that's fine. That is their choice. And in my office, that's what I told people. Look, if you want to buy health insurance, I'm not going to tell you not to. But I will say that... Um, you know, if you're seeing at the office, I'm going to give you my full attention. And if you have health insurance, I will give you standard documentation. And it's between you and your insurance company how your insurance company, how you want to handle this. And I explained to them their agreement with their insurance company is an agreement between them and their insurance company. It does not include me. I did not sign any forms, and I was not consulted. So um, that is... That's the deal. Okay, so someone asked about COBRA. Um, and so COBRA is a, um, a law that provides that when you leave a job, you have the option of paying your own health insurance premium so that you don't have a lasting coverage. I actually once had a um, situation where I was subject to this. So I switched from working for a hospital to working for myself and so there's gap there in coverage. And I was like, holy cow, it was several hundred dollars a month. I thought, this is not insurance, this is an extortion. So your insurance premiums are going up, and no, actually your doctor really is, is, not, uh, is not getting paid. So your doctor's pay is actually not in any way correlated with your increase in premiums. 
Oh, this person asked, did Dante's actually learn how to type? Okay, we answered that before. No, we don't. I should say, uh, not necessarily. Do they... Okay. All right. So do doctors like your money or do they like you or is it the same thing? Actually, that's the problem. Is It, it is becoming more about a person's money, more about the probability of getting paid, but that still doesn't guarantee quality of care because then you get to a situation where the doctor's like, oh, my God, the last five patients didn't pay. Oh, this one's going to pay. I better just heap on everything on this one patient to get them to pay, uh, you know, as much as possible. So it doesn't necessarily, I mean, if you're going to see a doctor, what's the best strategy? The best strategy is to pay cash, leave the insurance company out of it, and make it clear to the doctor that his chances of getting paid for this office are 100%. And you can actually visibly see his face relax. <laughs> And all of a sudden, you can now just focus on whatever it is that you're telling him. And you can make it clear that, that, uh, that that's what you're doing. Now we have seven minutes, and we have more slides to go, believe it or not. We only got halfway through. All right. Top-rated insurers by specialty. Talked about that. Average reimbursement rate. This is, this is shocking. Average reimbursement rate. So, 100%. Okay. So 20. So 30% of Aetna's payments are less than or equal to the Medicare rate, and the Medicare rate is generally pretty, uh, pretty frugal. Um, Blue's plans, 26% of claims are paid at or below the Medicare reimbursement rate. So most claims are paid at a rate greater than the Medicare reimbursement rate. And this is important to, to get because if the Medicare rate is so much lower than all these other insurance plans, then what that means is the payments made by these insurance plans are actually subsidizing the Medicare plan. So in order for a doctor to be able to accept Medicare payments, he has to accept one of these insurance plans, which pays more than Medicare, and that's really the source of his uh, revenue, you can call it profit, or basically his ability to pay, meet his obligations or pay bills. So that's interesting. And that's called cost shifting. Now, this really stunned me. Uh, just to give you some background, when I was in medical practice, my office visits were 70, $70 or um, $135, that was pretty much it. $70, $90, $135, that's all it was. So $70, uh, $35, 3 into 50 50% of doctors now, 24 years later, are getting paid $75 to $100 in office visits or less. In other words, they're getting paid the same thing or less than what I earned way back when. So three and two is 50, yeah, 58%. So basically, if I was still in medical practice, I would not have had a raise in 24 years if I was accepting insurance. That is shocking, absolutely shocking. And so doctors are really behind the eight ball here. 
And this is all doctors, new patient office visit, specialists included. Very interesting. In other words, your doctor is definitely not getting paid. Average payment for an established patient return office visit. Um, again, my return office visit is for the same price. So then two and four is 60, 70, 80, 90, 92%. 92% of all doctors are, getting, are now getting paid at or below what I was earning um, 24 years ago. So this is this is really, if things are pretty rough out there. Average payment for high-level hospital admission. <laughs> so high-level hospital admission is 61% uh, are being paid at $150 or less. That means uh, doctors pulled out of bed at 2 a.m., got to get dressed, drive to the hospital, examine the patient, write the orders for admission, drive back home and, uh, you know, see patients the next day, do surgery or whatever his specialty requires. And 61% get paid $150 or less for getting out of bed in the middle of the night. Very interesting. Now, I won't say in defense of this, but now many doctors work in groups, and so someone takes the night shift. But again, the night shift is still, well, <laughs> the night shift. Average payment for key services, um, you know, it's, again, like it's, it's just like that. There's, there's not been any pay increase. How many commercial insurers do you accept? Most doctors apparently accept anywhere from uh, one to ten insurances. This is a lot to keep straight. So, so basically, what's going on here is doctors are practicing insurance. And medicine, if you want to call it that, your clinical condition has less and less to do with the care that you receive as opposed to um, other factors in um, your insurance. Okay, I think that is about it. We'll see you guys next month. And check out the Candida Clinic 2.0 live at vitalitycapsules.com.